Hello, and welcome to Grand Canyon Echoes, the voice of District 3 Toastmasters. Good afternoon, District 3. This is your podcast host, Don Griffith. Today, I have the pleasure of being with Don Ratliff. Don, you're a distinguished Toastmaster, are you not? I am, just as of this year. Just got it. How long have you been a Toastmaster? I joined uh, Toastmasters in 2010. And I've uh, been actively involved since then. And what's your club or clubs? Well, my first club, uh, my home club, is Unity Speakers of Phoenix, Arizona. And I'm also a member of Fearless Speakers in Tempe. And I also volunteer at a club in Eloy, Arizona. It's a prison club, and uh, which all of the members are inmates at the Saguaro Correctional Center in Eloy, Arizona. Tell me more about that prison club. Well, it's, uh, as I mentioned, it is a prison club, and all the members are inmates. And uh, I was actually introduced to it by Kristen Grimando. You know, I was at a Toastmaster meeting, and she mentioned that she was a volunteer. And it intrigued me. I'm thinking, wow, Toastmasters behind bars? What would that be like? And she said, if you'd like, you can come visit. So I made arrangements with her that I was going to go ahead and visit one day. And that was actually four years ago last week. And uh, I was thinking, well, as an experienced Toastmaster, I would have something to offer these men. And when I went down there, I found out that they were already an absolutely well-established club, doing things as, as well as any club I have ever seen. In fact, quite in many instances, even better. And so what I found out is I really had very little to offer them other than support and encouragement. And what I found is that they have given me so much more than I could ever have offered them. And it's, a, it's an amazing club. It used to be quite easy for us to go down and take visitors, but they've made the rules and regulations a little bit more difficult. So not as easy. But the people we have taken down there have just found it absolutely fascinating. Tell me a little bit about the setup. Once you Obviously, you have to be checked in at the, at the prison and get a badge and so forth and so on. How do they have their meetings set up? Well, it's actually in the, uh, you know, deep in the prison. You have to uh, be escorted by uh, your guard and the person that's going to actually uh, oversee the meeting. And uh, so you have to go through, you know, four levels of gates and barbed wire and such. And I remember, you know, when I first went in, I was, uh, I'm a big guy. I'm uh, six foot three, 250 pounds. And even that, I was a little bit intimidated. I had not been to prison before, thankfully. And uh, so I envisioned with my active imagination that I was going to go in there and there were going to be big, bulky guards, you know, batons and pepper spray and, you know, all the things necessary to keep me safe. And when I got into the club, realized that, I don't know, you probably know Judy Millette, uh, she was our one and only guard and uh, anything but uh, massive and bulky and there were no batons. But, you know, what I quickly discovered, it was a very, very safe place and a very, very positive environment, which is really not what I would have expected. I'm a person who likes to be in a positive environment. And um, Carpe Diem is one of those places, really quite surprising. Tell us a little bit about their their members, the way they go about it. Do they do Toastmasters the way we'd all recognize it if we went to their club? I would say we might not recognize it because they do it so well, and they're fully engaged. You know, one of the things that surprised me the first meeting that I went down there was they actually have a lottery. So when it comes time to distribute, you know, what the who, who's going to be what role at the following meeting, they'll often have five hands go up to be the timer. And so they have like a little numbering system, you know, they'll draw and the volunteer 
uh, we'll pull a number out of it and they'll guess one, two, three, seven, whatever. And whoever's closest, you know, gets that role. And that just absolutely surprised me because at the clubs that I've been a part of, getting somebody to take the timer role is not particularly easy to do. How many members do they have? They're limited by the space, but so it's typically somewhere in the vicinity of about 30. Great. There's a lot of clubs in Arizona that would love to have 30 members. Absolutely. Well, you know, it, it's surprising. You know, the, there are guys there that, you know, even though you'd think that it's really easy for them to come, some of it is just a matter of getting out of bed. And uh, these guys, for the most part, are very um, motivated. You know, it's truly a, you know, it's not a, a given that you can be a member. You have to earn the right to be able to be a member. And one of the things I really enjoy about it is these guys have to, you know, their their behavior has to be exemplary. If they do something, you know, that's a violation of the rules, they can lose their membership. And uh, some of them have. But, uh, you know, one of the things, and I want to segue into this so I don't forget, you know, one of the things that really uh, hooked me and made me want to continue coming back and continue going there and being a volunteer for the last four years was something that I heard that it just absolutely blew me away. You know, if you know anything about recidivism rates in prison, you know, it's a very high rate. People go in, they get out, and then they come back, you know. And I've heard figures of, you know, 60, 70, 80 percent. And what I have heard is that in Carpe Diem, over 300 men have taken part since they uh, formed, I think it was in 2008 or nine, somewhere around there. And in that time, 300 men have participated at a high level in Toastmasters, been released, and at this point, 0% recidivism. I mean, that's just unheard of. I cannot wrap my head around it. And you know, it it is a special population, so I think that does contribute to it. All of the men there were arrested in Hawaii. Now they're not all Native Hawaiian, but they were all arrested in Hawaii in Hawaii, and Hawaii houses them here. And so there's a little bit of a Hawaiian atmosphere to the meetings, but still, 300 men, zero percent recidivism is just mind blowing. Do the prison authorities? recognize that? Do they discuss it or talk about it? You know, we don't have a lot of, or at least I haven't had a lot of interaction with the authorities there. We do have uh, some, you know, uh, meetings where we will interact with the warden, and he has been very supportive, and we appreciate that. But, you know, I can't help but imagine that that would be, you know, thing, because it, it helps with their behavior. So, you know, they're model, you know, model prisoners, so they're, they're not out there causing trouble, you know, and they're doing things to better themselves. And when they get out, you know, they're you know, this is, you know, helping them stay out of prison. That's pretty amazing. It really is. It's, it's an amazing environment. Uh, you know, so many good stories. Um, you know, one of the things that and I mentioned that it's a positive environment, you know, the, the, the types of speeches, the stories they talk about, again, were not the kind of speeches that I would have uh, imagined. I have watched over the years a number of TV programs that about prison life, and so that's kind of what the vision I had that it would be. But it's anything but that. You know, these guys are, are well-behaved, well-mannered, they're respectful, uh, and, and they're grateful to have this opportunity to participate in Toastmasters. And so, you know, they, they come, they have amazing stories. One of the prisoners I was there at this last meeting, and he was telling uh, about when he first came into toast or in the prison that he was just sitting there and just kind of passing time. He would eat, 
he would sleep, and he would watch TV. And those were the th- three things that he did and made up his days for, for a per- period of time. He had a conversation with his grandmother, and his grandmother sparked him to want to do something with himself, even though he was in prison and uh, was a lifer. He was very likely going to spend the rest of his life in prison. But she sparked a conversation with him to you know, let him know that he could still do something with his life. And since that time, you know, he's gotten involved in Toastmasters. He's going to be the first person in his family to have a college education and do so behind bars. He's a self-taught painter now. And, you know, he's really making something with his life. And at the end of each of our meetings, you know, they allow the volunteer, and we typically have one volunteer per meeting, they allow us to say something. You know, and one of the things that I mentioned to him was, you know, that there was a, a very famous person named Nelson Mandela who, you know, didn't look like he would ever get out of prison. And not only did he get out of prison, but he also became president of his nation. And so, you know, left that as a positive, you know, positive thought, you know, is, you know, is don't allow that, you know, confinement of what you believe is going to happen to restrict you from what could happen. You know, it's all, a lot of it is about what you believe can happen. I imagine there's a few things that have to be different because of their location. For instance, can they participate in area contests? That is one thing that they're not able to do. And uh, I don't know if you know John Hammett or not, but uh, John Hammett is one of the volunteers. And uh, John has said many times, because he's very actively involved in, in competing in contests, he has said it many times. He says he's grateful that they can't because the level of their, their speeches is so amazing that they would uh, be hands-down winners in many of the con- you know, competitions. So it's giving all of the Toastmasters on the outside a, a better chance of winning. <laughs> <laughs> it is, and, it, and it's really a shame. I wish that they, they, they did have that opportunity. But uh, you know, for those of us who have an opportunity to you know, hear their speeches, it's mm-hmm. truly amazing. So you've been helping with them for four years, you said? For four years, mm-hmm. That was about halfway through your your Toastmaster experience. It is, yes. Mm-hmm. Tell me about Don Ratliff before Toastmaster. <laughs> oh, you know, Don, I, I really consider myself a Toastmaster poster child. You know, most of my life I believed that I had a brain defect. And one of the reasons that I did was because for me it was very difficult to have a conversation. You know, words would come out of my mouth in an order other than I intended and, you know, I came to believe that I had verbal dyslexia. And so because of that, you know, there were a lot of times, you know, throughout my lifetime, I just chose not to have any lengthy conversations. I'd say a sentence here or there. But that was about the limit of what I would, would converse at most times. What happened that got me into Toastmasters after having been, you know, that way all my life, I had been asked by a very dear friend of mine to be the best man at his wedding. And I was so excited for him and so honored that he would ask me. I said yes before I realized the full implication of my answer. I forgot about the best man's toast. And when I, when I realized that, I started to panic, and I realized that there was just no way that I had the confidence to be able to say all the things I wanted to say about this wonderful man and do so by memory. You wanted to do it right. Oh, absolutely. There were just so many things I wanted to be able to say about this man at his wedding day. And so I made a decision. The only way I was going to get through it was to write it. And uh, what happened, and this is what drove me into Toastmasters, was when it came time, it was an outdoor reception. I had written my, my best man's toast on you know, about four pages of notes, and a gust of wind came along and blew my papers in half. And that happened four times during the course of my best man's toast, and I was so embarrassed, and I was humiliated. 
And I went to, I was, I was so devastated by this, uh, true story. I went to, afterwards, I handed the microphone back to the disc jockey. I went to a darkened area of the property and uh, tears were just pouring down my cheeks. And I made a commitment to myself and I said, I'm never, ever going to let that happen again. I'm joining Toastmasters. And what I realized is, you know, that sometimes we have to hit rock bottom before the pain of remaining the same is so great that it propels you to face your greatest fear. And that was my greatest fear was public speaking. I always believed that I couldn't do it. And so I joined Toastmasters and I quickly discovered that there was an issue that was behind what I had always believed was my, my defect. What it was, was it was a condition that we learned about in grade school, fight or flight. And what happens is when the human body is subjected to you know, high levels of anxiety, the brain shuts down non-essential brain function not related to survival. And the way I like to say it is when you're running from a lion, you don't need your memory. And what I discovered was that in Toastmasters, through practice and repetition, we learn to lower our anxiety level. And so, you know, you regain our memory. And I had a lot of times where my, my brain would just shut down. I would freeze up. And I'm sure a lot of people have had that experience. And through practice and repetition, I found out that I didn't have any condition. I didn't have verbal dyslexia. And I didn't have, you know, something that was causing my brain to freeze up other than fight or flight. And so, um, you know, it really has been a very beautiful thing for me. I'm grateful for Toastmasters because now I'm doing things that I never, ever, ever dreamed was possible. Like what? Well, one of the things I love to talk about is contests. You know, when I first joined Unity Speakers, you know, I never in my wildest imagination ever dreamed that I would participate in a contest because I just didn't have what it took. And uh, through, uh, you know, continual encouragement from my two mentors, uh, Joe Paulson and David Hodish, they encouraged me to take part, in particular David. And he saw something in me that I couldn't see in myself. And through his, you know, con- you know continual encouragement, I finally decided that I was going to take part in a contest. And I was absolutely surprised that I was able to win the club contest, international competition, against some very experienced speakers. And then I went on and participated in the area level, and I won there as well. Now, I'm, I cannot believe this is happening. I go on to the district level, and I win there. And that gave me the opportunity to compete against, I think, eight of the best speakers in the state of Arizona back in 2013. And I just, I mean, here's a guy that couldn't even, you know, put, you know, more than two sentences together. And here I am now on the district stage for the international competition for Toastmasters. And it's because of what I've learned and, you know, been able to experience through Toastmasters. You came really close. Very, very close. I mean, I couldn't, you know, I was, that I even won at the club level blew me away. Right. Needless to say, that filled up your confidence bucket pretty full, didn't it? It very, it very much did. And one of the things I love to say, and that's why I like to talk about con, you know, contests and competitions for people who are in Toastmasters, you know, a lot of people, myself included, would think, well, gosh, I'm not going to win. Why would I take part? And if that's the mindset that you have, you're really missing the big picture. The big picture of contests is not the trophy. It's not the ribbon. It's the confidence that you're going to gain as a result. You know, you're going to have to face a new level of fears because you're going to be in a competition. But you get to, to do something that you don't typically do in most speeches, in Toastmasters at least, the, the people I've encountered. You do one speech, and you might do it once or twice, and then that's it. In a competition, you're going to practice and practice and practice, and you're going to work on the nuances, and you're going to, to you know, face you know, higher levels of, of crowds you know, as you advance. A good portion of the confidence that I now have as a speaker came because of the, the confidence that I gained as a result of 
participating in con- uh, in contests. So you recommend contests? I ha- highly recommend it. You know, whether you think you're going to win or not, uh, just participate. You know, you don't know what you can do until you do it. Because again, I never dreamed that I would even you know participate at all, and here I was at the district stage. I've heard some people say on the international contest, "Well, I don't have a compelling story." What are your would be your advice to them? Well, I didn't think I did either. And I just dug deep and, and thought about something. And, you know, I worked on it and crafted it and made it compelling. And, uh, you know, it's still, I think, uh, I call it Yes, I Can is the name of the speech. I opened the speech by asking people, how, you know, by show of hands, how many of you know someone who's disabled? And I talk about having met a woman. Her name is Jessica Cox. And uh, she's an amazing woman. And her claim to fame was that she was born without arms and yet was the first armless person in aviation history to earn a pilot's license. And she's done so many other things. She plays the piano. She drives a car that hasn't had any special modifications. She's uh, earned a black belt in the martial art of Taekwondo. Uh, she can type on a typewriter, type on her, you know, text on her phone. There's just so many things that she can do. She's a certified scuba diver. I mean, just, there's just nothing that she cannot do. Uh, so I go in and, and talk about, you know, the things that I learned from her. And then I, I don't reveal it during the course of the speech until the very end. But I talk about a boy who truly was disabled. And that person was myself and my mindset that growing up, I believed that I couldn't do so many things. And as I got to the age of 52 years of age, I took part in a personal growth workshop and finally discovered that I wasn't incapable, which is what I believed about myself all my life. But the only reason that I was incapable was because of my own belief that I was. And one of the, the top of the things, the list of things I always believed I couldn't do was public speaking. Hmm. I never dreamed that I could ever do it. Wow. So what's next? Oh, gosh. Um, well, you know, what I'm enjoying doing now, you know, for the first, you know, eight years of, or so of my Toastmaster thing, I was working on me. I had no ambition whatsoever, and I like to talk about that too, if I could, Don. I think sure. Is uh, when I first joined Toastmasters, I never had any intention of completing my competent communication manual, and I really never had any intention of completing my competent leader. And yet, I just kept coming back, and by you know doing a little here, a little there, uh, one of my other mentors, uh, Shelley Gabriel, you know, encouraged me to to start going after the leadership aspect. She encouraged me to uh, become an area director. And I, I did. And so slowly but surely, I was gaining all of the requirements. And uh, then one of the stories, and I want, definitely want to talk about this. We, uh, it was the end of the year, 2016. And uh, the four volunteers at Carpe Diem were at the meeting, kind of their New Year's celebration, where we usually only have one volunteer, and that one we had all four of us. And the then president, his name is Sonny Ruiz, was walking from the front of the room to the back of the room where all four of us were seated. And he stopped in his tracks and he looked at us and he said, wow, four distinguished Toastmasters. And I had to raise my hand and say, no, actually I'm not. And there was something about him saying that that sparked something in me. And I didn't so much want to do it for me, but I wanted to do it for them because for them it's extremely difficult to get all the requirements to become a distinguished Toastmaster. So I thought I would do it for them. And I made a commitment at that meeting 
that I was going to get my Distinguished Toastmaster within two years. And I was going to do so by the time their meeting, their New Year meeting came around in 2018. And it was really funny as I'm making progress towards, you know, checking all the things that are required to get that accomplished. And now November is rolling around and there's still a lot of things on my list that I've got to do. And it seemed like I kept discovering more things that had to be done that I didn't know. And there was a time, you know, through that process where I kind of wanted to say, well, no, I'm not going to be able to make it. So I'll just do it in January. That'll be close enough. And I realized, no, I told them I was going to do it by that meeting. And I just buckled down and I just figured out how to do it. And I did it. And I was so proud to be able to go to that meeting and let them know that they had inspired me, that they were the driving force that got me to get this accomplishment that I never dreamed that I would do and never dreamed that I would want to do. It doesn't hurt to have some bigger reason beyond yourself as why you might want to accomplish something. That was what helped me get through it. That's a great story. You said you were an area governor, correct? Area director. Area director. Did you go on to division? I really didn't have uh, the motivation to do that. What I have, uh, what I am sparked by, what I enjoy doing is now inspiring other members and doing so on a personal level. One of the things, uh, the responsibilities I just recently took on at my club was uh, we had uh, a member, a long, long time Toastmaster named Don Clausing, who recently passed away. And when I first joined the club, uh, this is kind of a cute story, when I first joined Unity Speakers back in 2010, he was, um, you know, very quiet. You rarely heard him speak. And he was always sitting behind a video camera. And he would record the video of the speaker and the speaker's evaluator. And at the end of the meeting, he would give him a little mini DVD, which gave him an opportunity to see their performance and to be able to learn from that. And I remember when I first refused, received a few of mine, it was a little painful to look at myself and hear myself on tape. But I, you know, as I moved forward in Toastmasters, I really saw the value of it. Well, in the last couple of years, Don's health de- deteriorated and he passed away uh, this, this past year. And uh, so I decided to take up his role and uh, use some of the modern technology. Uh, I now videotape the entire meeting on my iPhone. And at the end of the meeting, uh, later on that evening, I will upload it to a private channel on YouTube. And then the next day, I will email our members so that they can go ahead and look at the meeting. So if they participated in any part, they were able to see themselves. If they saw somebody that gave a great speech and they wanted to kind of dissect it and learn from it or an evaluation, they can do so. And one of the things I really enjoy about it is as they make progress in Toastmasters, they can now look back at themselves and see for themselves the progress they make. So I think it's really difficult to, to envision as you make progress, the progress that you've actually made. One of the things that I, I just had this uh, encounter at uh, my meeting, one of our newer members uh, had heard my story where I talk about coming in and having such a lack of confidence in my ability to communicate. And he said, Don, I, can, I find it really difficult to believe that that could be the case. And I said, well, you see me now. You didn't see me then. And, and unfortunately, I don't have quick access to those videos of my early days. But one of the things now in having these, these meetings videotaped, it'd be quite easy for me to show people. I think it's important for people who are just coming into Toastmasters to know. They see these people who are now, you know, eloquent and, and being able to do things that they could never dream for themselves. Now I can be able to show them, you know, other people, you know, when they first came in and, and show them then and show them now. You've been an inspiration to me here today, Don, and I know that people listening to this podcast will be inspired not only by the story of Carpe Diem, the club down at the prison, but also your involvement there 
your involvement in Toastmasters and the fact that you're now a role model at Unity Speaker. Great. Thank you for being on the podcast. Well, thank you for asking me. We hope you enjoyed this edition of Grand Canyon Echoes, the voice of District 3 Toastmasters. To volunteer to be featured on the podcast or to suggest future topics, write podcast at aztoastmasters.org. That email again is podcast at aztoastmasters.org. Toastmasters International and all other Toastmasters International trademarks and copyrights are the sole property of Toastmasters International. This podcast is independent of Toastmasters International. It is not endorsed by, sponsored by, affiliated with, or otherwise connected with Toastmasters International other than for the use of the name Toastmasters International.